he was not only a dynamic preacher, but but he was the lead singer in a in a Christian contemporary music group that, that played at uh, at Liberty and other places uh, around uh, around town. And he told me that uh, that he believed God had given him a vi- had given him a vision, um, him and his band, to go back to his his hometown and plant a church in Wilmington, North Carolina. And and the goal of this of this church plant was was to reach people who were who were tired of traditional Christianity. That was the that was the impetus for for the church plant. And his strategy basically was to do as many things possible uh, that were different from from a from a normal church. What you would think of as a as a normal church service. It, he mentioned things like having a uh, convenient service times you'd poll the people and figure out exactly when they wanted to uh, to meet you know 9:30 is kind of inconvenient on Sunday mornings you have to get out of bed uh too early um engaging music uh you wouldn't wear a wouldn't wear a stuffy suit or or even even dress clothes for that matter it would be it would be like a beach church because this is this is somewhere close to Wilmington of course there'd be no pulpit or offering plates, um, and I can remember when he told me the the name of the church. It was like he had this this epiphany. Um, he said, "And here's what the name's going to be: the Living Fish. That's going to be the the name of the church." And I can remember he said it to me like like it was this this mic drop moment, and, and I can remember thinking about driving down the road and seeing a sign saying called the living fish. And I was thinking, you know, is that like a Christian pet store or a a restaurant? I mean, I would not naturally think church whenever I whenever I, I saw living fish. Well, I don't know what he's doing today. I've lost lost track of him, but but as the 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 story goes about a year after the the church was was planted it, it folded and and everyone went their their separate ways if you were going to start a new ministry today um how would you do it what what strategy would would you use well obviously there's there's no shortage of experts who could who could give you their their opinion and provide details or countless books written on the on the topic, and, and most of them, frankly, are based on common business models or or methods of, of strategic marketing. The, the prevailing wisdom would go something like this: If you were going to start a ministry or plant a church today, you would begin by choosing the the best location and and selecting a a target market. Uh, interestingly, whenever you whenever you see a lot of a lot of church plants, God usually leads them to affluent areas rather than the the hard places. I mean, there's not too many uh, church planting gurus suggesting that you launch in rural Kentucky or inner city Richmond. It's it's usually college educated upper class uh, rather than underprivileged minorities with incomes below the below the poverty level. Next, you you would. You, you would gather a team of young leaders with dynamic personality and cultural style. Their abilities would have to be outstanding. Their personalities uh, in, inherently attractive. Um, their looks would, would be important. Um, 
their uniforms would be whatever the, 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 the current trend or style would be. And the first order of business would be to assemble a worship team because music is considered the cultural currency that's necessary to, to draw people in. You would select someone on that team who would be the, the best communicator who, who connects with the audience well. The, the launch site uh, would, be, would be chosen, the actual building, and that would probably be um, a trendy location like a reclaimed storefront with open beams or a warehouse kind of feel. Then comes canvassing, which starts with a large community project, usually related to, to felt needs, nothing offensive, preferably something that people are already talking about, like a playground revitalization or, or a community health project. The start date that you would launch, the, the, the church typically would be Easter or some other common or natural holiday because um, it's, that's the day most people either still go to church or it would be easy for, for them to, to come. And, and you wouldn't launch until after about a, about a year after you've built name recognition because that ensures that the, the, the launch would, uh, would be with several hundred people to avoid the feeling of smallness or, or something new. You don't want to communicate that. Um, the budget that that would be used to do all of these things would be significant, typically funded by an outside source, either a denominational mission board or, or an existing uh, larger church. Uh, those resources are vital because you don't want to uh, turn people off by passing an, an offering plate, and you have to have all the bells and whistles in order to launch properly. Once you would uh, choose the date and the place, uh, a sermon team would, would meet and usually select about a year's worth of, of connection topics uh, to hook people on the, on the preaching. Um, those series would be preached in, in about four to five messages, usually no longer than 25 to, to 30 minutes in order to hold people's attention. Those messages would be, would be spiced up with current movie clips to be culturally relevant and and the content would be simple, majoring on immediate application. Topics like God's unconditional love, the adventure of following God, uh, raising outstanding children, excelling in everyday life, overcoming anxiety would be, would be the common types of, of themes. Issues like holiness or suffering, obedience would, would, never, be, would never be addressed. Biblical words would, would be replaced with ones with a softer edge. Sin would be called struggle. Disobedience would be called mistakes. Um, eternal reality w- wouldn't, wouldn't usually come up. Hell would definitely not be, not be mentioned. There would be the desire for dynamic youth groups, exciting children's ministry, connection patios complete with uh, pumpkin spice lattes and organic donuts. Actually sounds pretty good. They have it down to a science, really. Um, and they already know it will work because it, it has worked and it does work in, if you do it, do it right. Um, sadly, though, while their, their crowds gathered, um, 
the people that gather are left without real biblical change and or worse, thinking that that's, that's real Christianity. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark this morning and, and get to see the method and message Jesus uses to begin His ministry. And you're going to see a very different picture than what I just described to you this morning. So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And we have two verses to cover this morning, verses 14 and and 15. And in these two verses, Mark launches us into Jesus' preaching ministry. He moves from the wilderness experience, the baptism of John, calling people to prepare for the coming one, Jesus approaching John in the wilderness, taking the position of a substitute, then being affirmed by the Father, anointed by the Spirit, driven out into the wilderness to to go back to the beginning and withstand the temptation that that Adam failed uh, to to bear up under. And now Jesus is going to launch us beyond John into, into into his preaching ministry. So let's read verse 14 and 15. It says, now after John had been taken into custody or had been imprisoned, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God or the gospel of God's kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Those are the two verses. Following the temptation, his temptation, Jesus is led by the same Spirit, one of the other Gospel writers tells us, to Galilee. It's oddly that he's led back around his hometown. And he doesn't go to the population center of Jerusalem. He doesn't go among the wealthy or the elite. Jesus goes to fishing villages. And he begins preaching the goodness of of God's kingdom, the good news of God's kingdom. And, and his message is simple, it's, it's pointed, its demands are hard-hitting, and it requires a decisive response. His style is, is focused on, on, on the promise of God and, and what you must do in light of that. It's, it's not focused on the issues of the day or, or even drawing a, a, a crowd. It, He declares the time is at hand and calls people to repent and believe or be left outside of the kingdom. I mean, that's his message. I don't think that Jesus would sell too many modern church planning books. And and frankly, he doesn't care because the church he builds is indestructible and the gates of hell don't prevail against it. It doesn't blow about with the winds of culture. Those who hear his message and respond to it are, are changed instantly and, and eternally. They're never the same. And Mark describes here, gives us these, these church planting details, if you will, of Jesus' ministry. And he begins with this time. He says, he tells us the time that it began, it was at John's death, or when John uh, was, was taken into custody, I should say. The location is in, is in Galilee. He tells that very clearly in verse 14. Mark tells us the message that he preaches. It's the, the gospel of the, 
of, of God. And then he gives us the expectation of response. Repent and, and believe. Very simple verse, very, very simple message. And here's how I would, how I would title it and, and, and outline it. It's the call of the king to his kingdom. The good news is proclaimed in verse 14. And then he gives us the decisive response it demands. Let's look at the, the good news is proclaimed in, in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Mark first tells us the time that it's, it's delivered. It's, this is important because Jesus starts his preaching ministry after John the Baptist was taken into, into custody. Now, many months have passed between, uh, between Jesus' baptism and John's arrest. Mark doesn't give us any of those details because that's not his point. I, I, I re- I'm really enjoying Mark. It, it kind of feels like the foundation series of the, of the Old Testament to me because, because Mark doesn't major on the details, you kind of get this sweeping flow. You, you, you see Jesus come on the scene, you see the different roles that he takes, and you watch him, him just develop this ministry, this, this fulfillment of God's promises all the way to the cross. And I think that details are, are wonderful. I, I love them in the other Gospels. But, but I would find myself in the book of Genesis kind of getting caught up in the weeds. Like, okay, what exactly is Cain and Abel doing? Or, or how many animals does, does uh, clean and unclean, does Noah bring on the ark? And, and all of those details are good and important, and they're there. But if you don't understand the, the big picture, the, the, the overarching narrative, the storyline that God's trying to, to tell us, you can, you can kind of get lost. And so, so Mark keeps it, keeps it high level so we can see the storyline of, of, of what's being, a, being accomplished here. Mark skips over the initial details of the events that, that, that Jesus performs in Judea and in Jerusalem. He doesn't talk about the cleansing of the temple in John 2 or other miracles. He doesn't give us the scene where Jesus goes through Samaria and meets the woman at the well on the way to Galilee. He starts with Jesus' ministry at the arrest of John because he wants us to hear the role of the forerunner is over and the time of Christ has come. That's really what John wants us to get with that opening statement. Jesus' preaching ministry couldn't happen until John's ministry was complete. You remember what John said, I must decrease and he must increase. John preached to prepare people for Christ, and, and, and now that Jesus has come, it, it's Jesus is the one who will preach, and he will preach in a very different location. And that's the second thing, that detail that Mark gives us. Jesus came into Galilee. The, the location where the good news is proclaimed is, is, is told to us. Jesus came into Galilee, and it's a major shift in scenery because it's a major shift in God's plan. And you remember that, that the ministry of Jesus, or the ministry of John, is very different from this ministry that you, that you see here. John was preaching in the wilderness, associated with the message of judgment, and it was to repent. And people left Jerusalem or wherever they were, they came to the wilderness, and they submitted to the baptism of, of John after he proclaims this, this message. You need to repent. 
you're not right with God, the coming one is, is still yet to come, and, and I'm preparing you for him. Jesus, it's the reverse here. Jesus moves from the wilderness to Galilee, where people are at. I mean, his preaching is the, is the good news, and he takes that news to people. John preached repent, to be ready for what's coming. Jesus preached, preached the gospel, because it's, it's here. And, and he comes out of the wilderness, where people are at, and starts that, that preaching ministry. And, and I think that you should take away from that that the gospel is, is meant to be shared. It, it is to be taken to, to others. And, and, and we're not supposed to sit here and wait for people to come to us. If there's anything that you can commend about the church planting strategies is that, is that they have a desire to reach people for Christ. Their methodology is, is, is not biblical in a, in a lot of ways, but their desire is right. And it reminds us that we can be very biblical in our methodology and fail to uh, at the main thing, which is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to people. It's the message that Jesus gave to Ephesus. You're orthodox, but you've left your, your first love. There's a change of location here. Jesus commands us to go out and take the gospel to people, and that's exactly what you see Jesus doing here. He, he goes back into Galilee and begins to, to preach. Look at the message. Verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God or the gospel of God's, God's kingdom clearly says what Jesus was preaching. And it clearly says that Jesus was preaching. He's preaching the gospel of God. It's the same word that's used for John, what John was, was doing. There's a different message, though. There's, a, there's an added component. It's the gospel of God. Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God. And, and think about the simplicity of this. When Mark describes the primary ministry of Jesus Christ, he says Jesus preached the gospel. One method, and that was preaching, and one message, and that's the gospel of God. You say that's, that's too simple. It's not too simple. Because Romans tells us the reason Jesus does this is because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And it is to be proclaimed, it is to be heralded, it is to be spoken. Preaching is the method that God has chosen to save people. Now, when I say preaching, I don't mean just what I'm doing here. I don't mean less than what I'm doing here, but I mean that the gospel is to be proclaimed, it's to be communicated verbally to, to other people. Have you seen the bumper stickers or the, or the T-shirts that says, Preach the Gospel? Use words if necessary. That's nonsense. You, you can't preach without words. God is a, is a verbal God. And I think, again, that the sentiment is true. Your life should back up what you proclaim. That's the platform. You earned the right to be heard. But preaching 
communicating involves words and it involves communicating it to other people. God's a verbal God from the very first verse in the book of Genesis. How did God create? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke to Abraham. God communicated words to to Israel. What's the Shema? What do Jews even recite today? Hear, O Israel. And he gives them his commands. The gospel is no different. God creates his people. God brings repentance and faith through words, through the preaching of the words. That is what the Holy Spirit of God uses to do his work in our lives. The the word of God is called the the sword of the spirit. The spirit wields the, the sword and the sword of the words, and those words are to be communicated, and that's exactly what you see Jesus do here, and and that's our our ministry in in mandate as well as believers. The heart of a faithful ministry is to repeat the message that came from God. It's not to come up with your own message. It's to it's to it's to repeat the message that that came from from God. We come announcing a message, and that message is, is good news. And it's good news that, that it's that simple because you don't need to be a, a marketing strategist to do that. You, you don't need to, to know the, the current music trends. You don't need to wear hip clothing. If you tried, it probably wouldn't be hip anyway because I would be in it or you would be in it. Uh, you don't need to be a skilled orator to hold a crowd. Just ask Moses. You, you don't have to... You just have to tell people what God has already declared and you do that because you're convinced of it yourself. You've heard the message. You believe the message as it is the message of, of the living God and it has changed you. And, and and when you do that, there is a there's a decisive response that's demanded. And there will be a decisive response based upon that demand. And and that's what you find in in verse fifteen. The decisive response that this that this message, this preaching demands. And you find that In verse 15, look at verse 15. There's a response demanded, Jesus says, because because it's timely. Verse 14 tells us that that Jesus, at the right time, at the, the transitioning out of John, he steps into the scene, he begins his preaching ministry, he comes into Galilee, out of the wilderness, where people are at, and he begins to preach, and he preaches the good news of God. And then verse 15 tells us what the contents of that is, the specifics. He says, he's preaching and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at, is at hand. There's a response demanded that you see at the end of this verse because of what Jesus says here. The time is is fulfilled, and the kingdom is at hand. It's the what was what was the what was the news that Jesus was was preaching? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand, and it's a promise about God's king in the coming kingdom, and and that's God's doing. He's he's bringing about his kingdom 
and he's proclaiming his kingdom message. And, and your response is repent and, and believe the gospel. And the good news that Jesus is preaching, the good news of God, didn't come, didn't just begin whenever Jesus arrived on the scene. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. That word echoes a promise. It's God had promised a Redeemer to come, and that Redeemer would come at a specific time. It also echoes the, uh, a, uh, it proclaims a fulfillment He's here, and, and so the kingdom is dawning. The, the king is here. The, the time is fulfilled. Everything that God promised is, is upon the scene. And, and Jesus, who's the Son of God, is the one who's proclaiming this, 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 this message. And the next scene that, Lord willing, we'll look at next week, the very next scene is in Mark is, is Jesus as the, as the king calling his, his first subjects or his first followers. And they drop everything and follow him. I mean, here's the message. The king is proclaiming the good news that God foretold and that he promised. And it's, it's, it's fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The, the time is, is now. The kingdom is at hand. And he is preaching that, calling people to, to turn from the world and from their sin and turn to him and believe, trust in him, follow him. The gospel is the fulfillment of a promise. It was promised at the at the fall. And it's being it's been fulfilled over thousands of years. And everything pointed to this day when the promised one would arrive. I mean everything in the Old Testament points to the coming of Christ. It's the pinnacle. There's no more important event ever in in history. Everything pointed to the coming of Christ. And that's what Jesus is proclaiming here. This day when the promised one would, would arrive and, and he's here. Um, I, 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 thought, I tried to think of a way to illustrate this in my mind. Um, now, don't throw rocks at me. Pastor Brody... Um, don't be disappointed, but but our Christmas tree is already up, okay? So I'm thinking Christmas. Now we do that because I love it. If 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 I, I still celebrate Thanksgiving, it's still as important to me. I have turkeys and little pilgrim people on my table. They're just surrounded with evergreens and bulbs and God rest you, merry gentlemen, and all of those other things. I, I would keep it up through January if if I could. And so I'm thinking about Christmas. I'm thinking about this idea of God preparing up to this time and what it must have felt like. And, and I thought about how you prepare for Christmas as opposed to the feeling of Christmas Day. And I'm not trying to draw any parallels between the Advent and, and, and really what, what, what's, what he's saying here. I was just thinking as a kid about all of the build-up and the preparation. And I can remember... Uh, bugging my mother to if we could just open a present early, and she she sometimes would let me, but it was never more than like one, and that was usually a relative that that was out of town, so they didn't know about it. And just before Christmas, everything you do is about the day when you when you celebrate, when you exchange the gifts, when you eat, you spend time with your family, whenever you think about the 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 birth of Christ, you buy gifts and. 
Most put up a tree, you purchase food, you invite relatives. But it's not Christmas until December 25th. And then the event happens. It's a build-up to that day. All those things are necessary to make Christmas Day happen. But, but, they're, but they're also not Christmas Day. But when Christmas comes, then all the preparation and the gathering culminates in this day of celebration. And that's what Jesus is implying in this, this word, the time is, is fulfilled. He's saying God is prepared for the day when Jesus would come, and, and, and that day is, is here. God called Abraham, God gathered Israel as a nation, He provided His law, He preached through His prophets. And as significant as those things were, they were all preparing for this day, this fulfillment. And Jesus, in His preaching, says it's here. And that's what people are confronted with. He's not just saying... It's here, and that's a good thing, which it is. People are confronted with the fact that it's here. It's not a future promise. It's a, it's a fulfilled reality that, that's beginning to unfold. In the person of Jesus, in this message that Jesus is preaching, mankind is confronted by the kingdom of God's nearness and the king's presence. Why did you stay away, if you didn't come to Christ like me until you were older, why did you stay away from church? Why did you avoid Christians? Because you didn't want to be convicted. You, 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 wanted to, you wouldn't have let anybody know that. You wanted to look big, but, but you, would, you had an aversion to the truth. <laughs> because when you get in close proximity to the truth, you're, you're, you're convicted by it. And part of the gospel message is is repent because because God's appointed a day in which He's going to judge the world, and Jesus is saying it's closer than it's ever been. It's it's upon you. It's it's here. And one of the greatest tools that Satan uses is uh, is tomorrow. Hell is populated with people that had good intentions of hearing the message of Jesus and responding to the message of Jesus, but died before they could. It's he doesn't care if you. If you if you say you'll receive it, as long as it's it's tomorrow, there's a time component here. But Jesus says something else: the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is is at hand. The coming King and the the kingdom itself is at is at hand. The word means to to. To draw near. The kingdom of God is, is drawn near. and the, the kingdom had drawn near in the person of Jesus who embodies the kingdom. And the kingdom had drawn near in, in time because Christ's coming and, and the events initiate the, the kingdom. Now, now, you know the Jews struggled with this idea of the, of the kingdom, even the disciples Jesus walked with these men for three years, and what's the question that they asked Jesus right before He ascends into heaven in the book of Acts? It is, is, is it now? Is now the time you're going to extend the earthly kingdom to, to the Jews? I mean, they, they, they thought earthly kingdom only, and, and the kingdom is going to be implemented in, in, in phases, if you will. 
the spiritual kingdom. There's three dimensions to God's kingdom. There's the, the spiritual kingdom that reigns in the heart. And that's going to come, and it's coming now. It's not going to wait for, for the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. The spiritual kingdom reigns in the heart. Jesus told you and, and me and His disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, is God's will done on earth in every place today? Well, if you're talking about, you're talking about the, the, um, the decreed will of God, yes. But there are rebels running everywhere, people doing whatever they, whatever they want. Whatever they want. What's Jesus teaching us to pray there? Your kingdom come. You're praying for the kingdom to reign on the earth. And God's will is done in that kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven. But these are believers that are praying that. Where does the kingdom reign for believers today? Jesus is not sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. He's sitting on the throne of our hearts. And God's will is done first and foremost in our hearts. And, it, it, and we pray that it will be done in our hearts just like it is in heaven, without reservation, complete obedience. You submit to God's will in your heart, and, and when you do, His kingdom reigns over you, even though you're still a citizen of earth and, and under earthly leaders. That's the first phase, the spiritual kingdom. There's also a, a millennial kingdom coming. We're, we're coming upon that in Revelation. We looked at Revelation 11 last Sunday night. We'll, we'll look at the, the next chapter tonight. There's coming a day when King Jesus will reign on the earth. He'll sit upon the throne of his father, David. And his followers that enter that, that kingdom will submit to Jesus internally in the heart and they'll also submit to Jesus externally because it says he'll rule with a rod of iron. There will also be people born during that millennial kingdom. And those who are born will, will be ruled by His presence. But not all their hearts are going to be changed. The king will rule over them, but not in them. So they'll, they'll submit because there's a rod, but they won't submit in the heart. And finally, there's an eternal kingdom that's, that's coming one day. And only true servants will be part of that, and then everything will be made right. Jesus says all things will be will be made new. There'll be no sin, there'll be no Satan, there'll be no rebels, all only followers of Christ that have been blood-bought, redeemed, will be there, and Jesus will reign both over us, and we will be changed and glorified, so we'll submit within. And the rest, those who are outside of the kingdom, will be separated and cast out. And Jesus proclaims here, in His preaching, the kingdom is dawning, and that demands a response. While we wait for the earthly and eternal kingdom at the coming of Jesus Christ, mankind is called to bow to the king in their hearts. And Jesus then tells us exactly what that looks like. Look at verse 15 because it's timely, because it's near, and because it's, it's commanded. How do you bow the knee to the king because the, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is, is at hand? Very simply, he tells us, 
repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't give the Sermon on the Mount here, although he does later. Mark doesn't record that. Jesus doesn't teach about kingdom precepts. He doesn't give all the stipulations that might be there even for a believer. He doesn't say, love your neighbor. He doesn't say, love me. He calls people to enter the kingdom. And you enter the kingdom through repenting and believing. Have you, have you heard the statement um, that uh, when, you, when you fish for men, you use the bait of the gospel, um, and, uh, and, and you may be the one that holds the line and, and, and catches the fish, but, but God's the one that cleans them? I mean, think about this. When you came to Christ, there was an immediate radical change that took place in your heart and in your life, but, but, but not everything was fixed. You still had years of thoughts and, and, and patterns of behavior that God would have to work out in, in, in your life, and, and that will come. But, but none of those changes in your life can come until the heart is set right, until you repent and believe, until until you respond to the call of the, of the kingdom. You say, well, I, I could never live what Jesus would command me to do. You're right. You could never live what Jesus commands you to do unless Christ gives you a new heart and you are born again and regenerated. Then you have everything that's necessary. The response is summed up in two imperatives, two commands. Repent and believe are, are commands. And they're the words of discipleship. Repent and believe. That's, that's what a disciple does. They turn from their, their former manner of life and, and they commit themselves to a teacher and his followings. That's what you're going to see next week. The fishermen turn from their former manner of life and they, they began to follow Jesus as their rabbi. That's what the Great Commission says. Go out and make disciples. And you baptize them. They're being associated with the, with the gospel and the message of, the, 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 the message of, of, of Christ. And then they're to be taught everything that Jesus commanded. The significance, the message to repent and believe the gospel is not a new message. It's, a, it's the dawning of a new day. It was exactly what the prophets proclaimed, but the prophets proclaimed this time which is now being fulfilled and this kingdom which is dawning. (laughs) And Jesus is saying the significance now is there's no time to delay. The next thing on God's timetable is the end for those who refuse to respond. The nearness of the king and the nearness of the kingdom imposes the demand to respond, and that response is repentance and belief. You've heard it before, but I'll say it again. The, the word believe doesn't just mean intellectual data. It's the idea of trust. It's the idea of leaning fully on, on a, a person and their, their message is to follow them um, completely. It doesn't mean perfectly. But it does mean that you're putting all of your weight on whatever it is that you're trusting in. It's the only thing that's holding you up. The only thing that holds you and I up between uh, being, being held over the precipice, between 
um, heaven and hell is is the hand of Christ, the pierced hand of, of Christ, the the blood of the Lamb, His His finished work. That's the we're laying on that. All of our eggs are in that basket. And we turn from our ways to Christ because there is no other way. And we see that God's promises are being fulfilled and there is a kingdom and we're outside of it. At the coming of Christ, at the the very beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry, mankind is called to respond and decide what they will do with this person who's named Jesus. You cannot remain neutral when it comes to Jesus Christ. There is no neutral ground. That's why he's so controversial. No one cares if you believe in Jesus plus. You can have whatever religion that you want and add Jesus to it, but whenever you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teachings of His teachings from the Bible, it says there is one way, it's exclusive, there is no other way, and the minute that you embrace that, it puts you on a completely different path than everybody else. And that's where the opposition comes. You must deal with Him. You cannot remain neutral, and you must deal with Him because He is your Maker. You can you can reject a religious teacher or a philosopher. You can choose a you know a, a yoga program or a different manner of life, but the one who's proclaiming this message is is your creator. He's your maker, the one that that gives you life and breath, and the one that you will stand before one day and give an account. That's why you must. Respond. You must deal with what he's saying. You can't escape it. You'll see him and embrace him as your Savior, or you'll reject him and remain under judgment. That's the only two options. And all mankind is called to respond. And the response is repent and believe the gospel. They're called to respond because of His arrival. They're called to respond because the promise of His coming is is fulfilled. And they're called to respond because the end is nearer than it was. Jesus stands as God's final word of address to mankind in the final hour. And people either submit to the, the summons of God or, or they choose this world. That's the church planting ministry of Jesus. Go where people are at. Preach. Preach the message of the gospel of God. Commanding the response of repent and believe. And that's exactly how God's done it for thousands of years. And that's exactly what happened whenever you came to Jesus. It worked then and it worked today. And it will work for 2,000 more years if Jesus tarries. Because Christ said, I will build my church. Amen?
Let's bow your heads.